Hiya, Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This weekend, Christy McGuinness brought in her brand new number one kids book, Amazing Me, Amazing You. Cory actor turned cheesemaker Sean Wilson tells us all about his new book, Cheddar Gorged. Show chef Martha cooks up a risotto and turns that frown upside down with a pineapple upside down cake. And we have our most tense game ever of Word Up. But before all of that, Maria and I have some dilemmas to deliberate in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to kick us off. Ah, good morning, Graham. Morning. I'm yet closer to you. I know, you're like sitting on my lap. I feel like I've got a ventriloquist dummy. Well, the table that was positioned, <laughs> apparently somebody collapsed into... No, they didn't. They pushed back into a screen that was a very... There was expensive. a huge brawl. There was a brawl? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was a was brawl. Was it when Chris Evans was on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Though That breakfast crew, it kicked <laughs> off. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they leave the studio in a terrible <laughs> mess, all I have to say. Um, Graham, I can I just say something to you. Because yes, you can. I you feel can. I can confide in you. Yes, if you, if you can't tell me, who can you tell? Yes, exactly. Um, last week we talked about that I was not drinking for, for Lent, just as a sort of thing. Right. We did. Did we? Yeah. <laughs> I like my friend. I'll have to listen back to the app. <laughs> my friend remembers what I've been talking about. Um, I find it very difficult to find nice non-alcoholic drinks. Um, non-alcoholic Prosecco. Bleh. Um, non-alcoholic gin. Bleh. Water. Water's non-alcoholic. No, but, you know, the whole thing is that you want to... If you go out, you think, I can't just have a glass of water because I could just go to my tap and do that. Yeah. Well, now, here's a nice drink. Waitrose. No, here's a nice use. drink. Here's a nice drink. Well, you can yeah. buy both these things in Waitrose. Uh, get some tonic. Yes. And put a little dash of Angostura bitters in it. Oh, and it it's it's you you can't just you know because I think the problem with non-alcoholic drinks is you order it and you go glug, 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 glug. I finish that <laughs> more well, liquid now. To be fair, now. you do that with alcoholic <laughs> drinks. Yeah. So, so imagine I mean... <laughs> you've seen me with non-alcoholic. So imagine me with non-alcoholic. Um, so the good thing about uh, Angostura and tonic is it has that kind of you know it, it's got a bit of a so you can't just glug it down. Okay, it's a, it's a glug stop. Yeah, so it's you you drink it at the same rate, unless you're drinking with me. Yeah, but that, uh, you, you that would indicate that it's not very nice to drink, though, you know, because it, you're well, drinking it at the same rate. Well, it's like, not delicious, but, you know, you're not drinking alcohol. If you're not drinking alcohol, <laughs> you might as well have something delicious. Actually, what I really want to do is have a chocolate milkshake when I go to the pub. That's a very good idea. Do that. <laughs> just, or, you know, just go somewhere beforehand, get your chocolate milkshake and go in, and then they can maybe pay, you know, charge you corkage uh, for putting it into a nice pint glass. <laughs> And with a straw. With a straw. Tell me about your week, because I know, I happen to know, that you did a stand-up gig, a very rare stand-up gig it these days. It was very, very rare. I was was sta- it filmed? Was it I filmed? Was, uh, no, it was not. Oh. Uh, it was at the uh, O2 Arena last night. In London Town. In London Town. If anyone listening was there, thank you so much for coming. We had a ball. It was, you know, I, you, cause I, hadn't, I just didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what it was going to be like. Was it, was, it full? It was pretty busy, yeah. How many is that old? Uh, I don't know. Oh. But it was busy. Somebody will tell us yeah, yeah. in that ear. Uh, so anyway, they uh, it was a very kind of random bill, all these different acts, and you go, what will this be like? It was so fun. It Can you so give fun. us an idea of some of the people on the bill, or I have you can. forgotten already? No, no, I, oh, I remember, remember a lot. I remember that, not about a... my conversation last I... week. Uh, what, what did we talk about last week? <laughs> 
Go on, tell me who was on the bill uh, before you forget. Bianca Del Rio. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. we like her. Uh, she was uh, vicious and very, very funny. Uh, Danny Beard, who won RuPaul's Drag Race UK uh, the last season. So who knew he can sing? Oh, really? Got lungs. I mean, he sang an Adele song. People thought he was lip syncing. He actually, he was singing it. And sang it well, obviously. No, really well. Because if people thought he was lip syncing. Yeah. And who else, comedy-wise? Uh, Catherine Ryan, Joe oh, yeah. Lysett, uh, Phil Wang. Um, who else? All the stars were yeah. out for oh, you, Graham. Jade Adams did an amazing uh, thing. Which Dance just... routine? No. Well, uh, there was some movement involved. But, no, she she told a story and ended it with this blasting out Nessam Dorma. It was so impressive. She's got lungs as well. Yes. So, basically, this was Graham and Friends. It was like a, it was billed as, I think, a variety show. And it was variety. We had it all. And were they your friends? Did you chat to them afterwards? I did, a lot of them. Did you? Im- <laughs> oh! <laughs> During your record, we, you can tell me which ones you did no, not speak I to. No, I chatted to them all. Yes, and of course they, no, you no, did. did. It was very nice. It was really nice. I was dreading it, and it was really nice. It was a very good fun night out. Um, yeah, so... Um, so will you be returning to do stand-up, to do more stand-up? No. <laughs> is that because it's too hard? Did you write more material for it to be topical? Because, you know, last time you did stand-up, you did stuff about the miners' strike. I know, really. <laughs> no, isn't it funny? You think, I think I was never topical. I was never topical. I'll just go dust off this material. And then you go, oh, actually, yes, it hasn't aged very well. This is not fine Why? I like the, fact, the idea of you dusting off material, like getting some old parchment out from your office and <laughs> blowing off the dust. Yeah, a roundup of Big Brother. Uh, Seriously? <laughs> Is one. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure this is going to go well. <laughs> uh, right, you gather, you blow the dust off some letters. Yes, and uh, we'll get to them. Virgin Radio. Here we go. First one, quite long. Dear Graham and Maria. I'm the middle of three brothers, and there are five years between the eldest to the youngest. Keep up. When my older brother turns 30, my younger brother and I took him away for a milestone, for the milestone, as of 30, for a skiing trip. When my 30th rolled around, I didn't do anything, and neither did the youngest when he turned 30. But it was a different time in our lives with the young families. Okay. For my older brother's 40th in 2018, my younger brother and I took him away again for his birthday as a surprise to Edinburgh for a few days. Three years later, it was my turn, but due to COVID, we were in lockdown. I was told by my brothers at the time that they had something planned and as soon as lockdown was over, that we'd all do it. Fantastic, I thought, but nothing ever happened. Losing the world to live. Over Christmas, my partner and I went to see Back to the Future of the Musical as a last-minute booking. Huzzah! For my 42nd birthday, just gone... Oh, my God. Yeah, I will. My brothers came round with a Lego set. <laughs> the Lego set as a gift. It was lovely, and I appreciated it. No, you didn't. But they said, we would have taken you to see Back to the Future, but now you've already seen it. At the weekend, I received a message from my older brother trying to organise something for my younger brother's 40th, stating, we should do something to remember rather than a gift. A trip to centre parks was suggested. Really? I feel hurt with the lack of any kind of planning for me. It feels like I'm an afterthought, whereas it's been so important to mark the occasion for both of my brothers. Am I being oversensitive? And that is from Jonathan in Deeping. Oh, Jonathan in Deeping. Yes, 
and no. I mean, Jonathan, you've been harbouring this resentment since you were 30. That is 12 years ago, Jonathan. Count them. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years of resentment. Listen, they are your brothers. You know the cut and thrust of brotherhood. You just say, hey, where's my 40th birthday surprise? I got a Lego set. I mean... It's These aren't colleagues at work. These are your brothers. You can say this. You can say, how is it that I haven't had any big celebration? Covid, people forgot, no one cares enough. Am I the least favourite brother? Is that what you're saying, Jonathan, in Deeping? Well, he's the middle brother. Well, he's the he, middle brother. Yeah, but it was so no one cares. He's your oldest or youngest. Yes, yeah, that's the thing. You're, you're the you, spare. Yeah, you're just the one in there. You, Yeah, all right, there you go. I mean, and also, if you do say something, they'll just go, all right, Centre Park should be your birthday as well. <laughs> You know, no one's got... Because really, Jonathan, indeed... The only person who cares is you, Jonathan. Yeah. And you should have been keeping track of all this, keeping track of all this even, by saying, you know, oh, my birth, my 40th is coming up because we did this for you and took you to Edinburgh and all the other things that I've forgotten. Um, my 40th is coming back. I would quite like to go to Paris. So I've booked these things and you can all pay for it. You know, you have to take some responsibility, I think. You're waiting like a little child waiting for somebody to show you some affection in the way of, you know, birthday celebration. And I I think Graham is right. You're the middle. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's not special. (laughs) And perhaps even they don't like you, Jonathan. No, no, I'm sure they like him. (laughs) I'm sure they like him. But equally, you're right. Like, Jonathan needs to say something, you know, because they are... Yes, they know they're getting away with it because... You're letting them get away with it because they're thinking, oh, just tell him, tell him we'd have taken him to that, but he's already yeah. seen it. Yeah. That's fine. What um, should we get him into? Lego? Does he like Lego? I don't think so. We'll get him Lego. Well, I've got a Lego set in yeah, the car, yeah. so should we give it to that? Oh, I got one for Christmas <laughs> that I don't really want. Yeah, he can have that. He I'll change that. the name on it. <laughs> <laughs> to... <laughs> maybe, maybe your parties, Jonathan, aren't as fun as everybody else's parties. That's all I'm thinking. Well, I, I look, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's not not the end of the world. You had a lovely time for your birthday. You went with your partner to see Back to the Future, the musical. Uh, you'd love that. Have you now, seen it? No. 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 Me neither. I'm waiting for someone to take me. Yeah, yeah. It's my 60th for April. For your birthday. <laughs> 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 Go to see Back to the Future on your 60th. Yeah. There's something sad about yeah, that. There is, yeah, mm. oh, Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> if only. Oh, no. Now Jonathan. I'm, now I'm Doc. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm Doc and not Michael... Michael... Michael. There Michael. you go, yeah, yeah. Um, Jonathan, I do think you... There's greater things to worry about in life, I think. Um, and these are your brothers, they love you, and if they thought you were hurt, I think they would be very hurt. So just talk, speak, say the word. Say, come on, guys, I've missed out for 12 years on special surprises. It's about time. And they'll just roll their eyes and go, shut up. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, he's the mousy one in the middle. No responses, bar one. And my favourite responders today will be getting a bar of, a large bar of Waitrose and Partners, number one, dark chocolate with spiced orange. My goodness, it's made with cocoa beans sourced from Ecuador. This carefully selected chocolate has been expertly matched with spiced orange. You heard me. Tasting notes, rich coconuts with candied orange and fragrant spices. That'll be the spiced orange. That's what that is. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. That is what one of my responders will get today. Karen in Erford. 
I totally get where you're coming from, Jonathan, as I'm the middle girl of three. I'm wondering if you're only just realising the family pecking order and this hurts. I would advise you not to be utter upset. Sort out the pecking order so that you can even it up. You're not in the family nest now and you can choose your behaviour and what treatment you accept. Assert yourself. Don't accept what has been. It will work. And isn't that the great thing, Karen? You're absolutely right. You know, Jonathan, you have a partner now. You're not, you know... If you were living at home with your parents, yeah, I'd understand that this would, like, grind your gears all the time. But, like, literally grow up. <laughs> Get over it. You're out in the world. Neil and Dumpy. <laughs> Neil and Dumpy says, start a brother's group chat for your 50th. Who doesn't love one of those? Give them plenty of notice. There will no doubt be another Back to the Future musical by then. And also you'll have forgotten it. So if they've revived it, you can go see it again. It'd be lovely. Catherine Norfolk, if Jonathan is the organiser of the three brothers, then it probably all falls apart when it comes to his birthday. Organise something yourself and tell the others that it's what you're doing belatedly for your birthday. Kath, you're so right. You know, if you want to do something... Do something. Don't sit at home complaining. Nothing's happening. Yeah, it won't happen unless you make it happen. Ian and Preston. All brothers either fight constantly or settle into a hierarchy. This is profound stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Sadly, it sounds like you're not at the top of your hierarchy. Do you think, Ian? You could tell the eldest that his 50th will be similar to whatever he does for your belated 40th. You could but then he'll organise something himself. He won't just sit around going, oh, my brothers haven't done anything. Paul, I was going to say, how old is Jonathan? And then you said the brothers gave him a Lego set. <laughs> I believe there's deep-rooted family issues around this family, and Jonathan's not telling us. Tell them you're not happy with the situation and that you don't want a Meccano set for Christmas. I mean, Lego is a weird... But also, he didn't seem that upset by the Lego. He seemed quite pleased with his Lego at 42. Uh, <laughs> thanks for all your advice. Um, I am going to... Uh, I'm going to give the chocolate, the waitress and partner's number one, dark chocolate with spiced orange, to Kath in Norfolk for her sensible... Sens- sensible? Her very sensible advice. Our practical advice. Very good. Graham's Guide. Here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, I'm a mature woman. This is not me talking, by the way. Oh, I thought yeah, yeah, you written to yourself. Yeah, no. written to yourself. No, no. Yeah. Dear Graham and Maria, I'm a mature woman who is now retired ah. and I have a loving husband, but I feel like I'm having a midlife crisis. My husband is in his early 60s and is physically still in good condition, but I feel... Peel like, sorry, I feel like I play second fiddle to his golf and poker playing. He plays golf twice a week and meets with friends on a regular basis to play poker. He's still working part-time, but I believe this is to get away from me. Okay. I'm a regular churchgoer, and after church we go to the tea rooms for a cuppa and a chat. I've now met another man and look forward to seeing him every week. This has been going on for a couple of years now. He's asked me to go and live with him in Ireland and run away from my husband. This fills me with both joy and fear. I've discussed this with my sister and she's told me to get a grip and stop acting like a hormonal teenager. She says my husband is a loving man who has provided for our family and I should not feel neglected as he's simply having a bit of quality time with his male friends. She said, why leave a wonderful man and go to Ireland where it rains for nine months of the year? (laughs) My heart tells me to go, though. Please help. That's from Mary in Liverpool. Ooh, Mary in Liverpool. The horns of a dilemma. Also... Mary Liverpool, that sun trap. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> where, 
<laughs> it's the Costa Brava of the north. Yeah. Oh, no, it rains in Ireland. Don't leave Liverpool. I like the fact that you're defending Ireland in, in a strange way. Um, Mary, in Liverpool, I mean, look, if you leave, it may metaphorically permanently rain in your heart for longer than nine months. That's my feeling. I, what I want to do, Mary, is sit you down and say, what do you know about this island man? What is he offering you? This is a sort of, you know, those romance stories with bubbles when people say, but I love you, come and live with me. OK, it's that sort of thing. It's I don't think you know enough about him or you haven't told enough about him. It's because you're bored because your husband isn't paying you attention. He's playing poker or golf or going to work to get away from you. You're bored. Church isn't enough for you. And this man has shown you some attention. So now he's saying, come in Ireland, um, come to Ireland and cook and clean for me um, and uh, we'll have a, a life together. You you don't know enough about this. What you have to do, Mary Liverpool, let's not, not uh, chastise you anymore. You have to sit down with your husband yes. and talk. You have to say, look, this is the thing. I am feeling like this. I am feeling neglected and bored and da, da, da. there's a man I've met at church and he wants me to go and live with him in Ireland. I think you have to just be very... I mean, your husband will be shocked. He will either say, I've been unhappy too, I think you should go, or he will say, no, I mean, I'm so sorry, we must work on this, we must. We can save our marriage, we've got too much history together to let it all go, to throw it all away for a man... Yes, and it sounds like there's kids involved. There's, I mean, I'm yes. probably grown-up yes. kids, but still, there's and a family. Also, maybe you could go to church um, and with this man from Ireland and pray about it, because I'm sure... Uh, well, Mary must feel that God has led her to this man. No, God would not want her to. Well, God provided covet. this man. Yes, God put Let, him right let's there. Let's not get into that theological boner <laughs> of where this came from. Um, but I just think you need to sit down with your husband, Mary. Yes. Uh, as as crazy as it sounds, that's the only person that can help you out of this situation. Yes, I think you need to figure out the relationship you're in before you start a, n a new relationship. And so w maybe your relationship is over, maybe your marriage is over, but deal with that before you start, you know, packing a bag and going to muddying Ireland. Muddying the waters, muddying yes. the Irish bogs. Because actually there's something quite cowardly, I think, about just running away. You know, it. it, it I, I saw, I mean, I don't think you're behaving like a hormonal teenager, but there is something quite childish about going, oh, this is hard. I, I'm not happy here. I'm going to, you know, put my swimming togs in a suitcase and go to Ireland where it's very sunny. <laughs> They have beautiful summers. <laughs> they do, sometimes. Um, yes, it, it is the end of a fairy story, frankly, is what you're looking for, Mary, in Liverpool, where you're thinking it will all be OK at the other end of the rainbow, and I'm here to tell you it will not all be OK. You don't know enough about this man, yeah. and you will find yourself lost and alone in Ireland. And Irish golf courses are very, very nice. Can I just say? So, uh, the chance of losing the second one to Is golf. that all you have to say to Mary? Uh, yes, it's very sunny in Ireland and there's great golfing. So, <laughs> it's yin and yang, Mary. Uh, you'll get a tan. Let's but, hope but, the Virgin but... Radio listeners have something more interesting to say, Graham. Board Vulture will be in touch. <laughs> Board Vulture going to sue Mary's sister. Shush now. <laughs> the responses, part two. And my favourite responder, one more time, will be getting a bar of Waitrose and Partners, number one, dark chocolate with spiced orange. Mmm, all the way from Ecuador. Helen in Preston. The grass is not going to be greener. In Ireland, you are feeling flattered and excited because it's new and he's giving you attention that you've been starved of. 
You need to figure out how to communicate with your husband and start spending time together. Isn't that the truth? I disagree with Maria. Oh, hello. Don't mention... Oh, yes, I thought this. Don't mention the new bloke to your husband, as that won't help. You need to figure out this relationship. Yeah, no, if you start mention the husband, the, the new guy, then the whole conversation will be about that. And actually, you need to talk about what's going on between the two of you. Yeah, you're right, Helen. Rosie says, talk to your husband to see if you can still work, make it work. You must have hobbies. Take up tennis. Join the WI. Go to yoga classes. Ladies golf, even? That way you'll make friends and not be so dependent on your husband for happiness. Yes, I mean, I know what you mean, but then you're just kind of, okay, you're, <laughs> you're avoiding me. I'll avoid you. And what's the point of that? Mary's in Barnet. Leave things as they are. The man is just being flippant. He'd probably run a mile if you took him seriously. Oh. The issue here is you're not happy in your life and where you are in your relationship right now. You can neither fix your problems by running away from them nor by thinking someone else will be your salvation. You need to face up to why you're unhappy and work on that. It's never easy, but you can't expect someone else to do it. If you do run away, your problems will follow you and you'll be stuck in Ireland with the same issues. John in Staley Bridge. And Amy says, I feel for you, but you must deal with your marriage before even considering another relationship. You have years of marriage behind you, presumably a family too. You owe it to your marriage and your husband to try and mend what you have before moving on. Uh, 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 Your husband may not even know you are unhappy Talk to him He might surprise you That's from Amy from Norwich I am going to give the chocolate to John in Staleybridge Who I think really got to the heart of that problem The Graham Norton Radio Show With Waitrose Food to feel good about Virgin Radio Guess who's here Yes, it's my guest uh, Autism Ambassador And now the author of a brand new children's book called Amazing Me, Amazing You. It's Christine McGuinness. Hello. Hello. Hi. Is it quite cold here? I often think that I'm fine and then a guest comes in and I suddenly realise, oh, actually, it's quite cold. Are you OK? I'm OK. I feel all right. I've got oh, a good. lovely cup of tea. So That's yeah, all good. right then. Good, good, good. So congratulations on this. You were just saying it's gone straight to number one. It's gone straight to number one. This is my first children's book, Amazing Me, Amazing You. It's all about diversity and inclusivity. And yeah, on World Book Day, it's gone straight to number one in the children's books on Amazon. Oh, congratulations. And I, before I read it, I kind of thought, oh, this book will be for autistic children. But actually, it's more for uh, children. It's it's more to introduce the idea to children. It's for everyone. It's for autistic children to feel included and represented and to be more understood in a children's book. And it's for neurotypical children to read and understand their peers, understand their classmates. And and for adults, too. I'm sure adults are going to learn something. Well, reading it, I was struck that actually kids are probably very accepting because they, you know, if they've got someone in their class, you know, then that's just, that's their world. It's kind of parents are the one who are kind of resistant. And I think this next generation of children are definitely a lot more accepting just because we're all hearing and understanding a lot more about autism. I know when I was at school, I'd never even heard of it. I wasn't diagnosed till I was 31, um, where all three of my children were diagnosed before they were four. So I think it does go to show that people are understanding a lot more. So for the next yeah. generation, that's brilliant. And were you diagnosed because of your children, if you know what I mean? Well, that's why I looked into it, because I thought there must be a 
a genetic link. If I've got three autistic kids, surely there's got to be something there. And they were just very similar to me. So I didn't know that they were autistic. I didn't see the signs and symptoms because they were very much like me. I didn't realise <laughs> no, that no, because okay. I was no, autistic. No, it all makes sense. You're <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, but there's nothing wrong with them. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Just like mummy. But yeah, it turns out we're all autistic and, and that's what it is. And, and it's great. And, and I love that. I love it for them. That's the best thing about my diagnosis is that, you know, when I was telling my children about them all being autistic, I said, look, mummy's autistic too. It's fine. I go to work. I drive a car. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm trying to socialise more now. I'm trying different foods. And yeah, I'm oversensitive and I have little challenges just like you do. But, you know, we're, we're, we're all doing great. And do you think there are loads of people like you walking around undiagnosed? Definitely, I think more so autistic women. Women seem to get diagnosed later on in life. Um, and that is because autistic women are more likely to mask, to hide it, to pretend, to try and fit in, to copy others. And that's something I've done throughout my whole life and I still do it. Um, but yeah, that, that leads to a lot of undiagnosed or later diagnosed women more so that like men tend to get diagnosed more so as, as boys. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The stats are unbelievable. Like it's, it's completely different. A long, long time ago, people did believe that autism was only in boys and it just didn't in exist at all in girls, in females. Um, but yeah, as we know now, that's, that's not the case. And that's just because of the way it presents in, in boys? Presents differently. And, and boys do mask and, and there are some boys that will present like, you know, female autistics, but yeah. it's just the majority of autistic girls and women do tend to, to hide it and, yeah, it's not as obvious. And after your diagnosis, do you go around the world now going, yep, them, um, <laughs> them, I literally, <laughs> them. Like, yeah, doing me shopping and I'm like, oh, God. And it's or, always, or looking at someone else's yeah, basket going, yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 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 and I have them little difficult moments with people that I know, friends and family, where I sort of think, I wonder if I should say something or do I keep it to myself? And, um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's a personal thing between family when when they want to yeah. talk about it but for me the sooner the better I think and I'm interested because because you'd got to that age because you got to 31 and you know you'd, you'd lived a whole life and yeah. done all those things what difference did it make to you knowing once I was actually diagnosed everything fell into place everything made sense and you kind of you have a little bit of grief for you know what what could have been when you were a child like if I had have had the support that I, I did need if I was understood better um I left school really early and, and, and I often think could I have gone on to college or university would I have been an author a lot sooner if I'd have had that support so there's 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 a, a bit of sadness there but then you kind of have a weight lifted off your shoulders and think, okay, well now I know why I struggle socialising and I know why I don't like change and yes. now I can I can work with it. When you understand something, you can help, you can help yourself and, and definitely the last couple of years has been so much better for me. It must really kind of boost your confidence as well. That... Well, yeah, I just, I know that I'm not, mad now I know that yeah, yeah, you know yeah. all of these little things Why that you I find have certain it's, things it's because I'm yeah. autistic yeah and when it came to writing the book because it's all rhymed and stuff did that all come easily to you or did you really have to kind of like what rhymes with I, I, I love writing <laughs> I, I, I've always journaled I've always written and never thought in a million years that I would be an author and I, I still I'm pinching myself that this has happened I can't believe it's done so well I can't believe 
the book publishers believed in me because they'd never seen my writing before. And yeah, I, I just, it's a dream come true. I can't believe it, but I've absolutely loved it and I would love to do more. And gorgeous illustrations. How does that work? Do the publishers kind of put you together? Do they kind of match make? On my first meeting with the publishers, I told them that the visuals were just as important as the text because a lot of autistic children do work and learn by visuals. I'm a very visual person. I wanted children to be able to look at the book and see the story without reading the text if they couldn't read yet. Yeah. Um, so I worked very closely with Hannah Jane, who is our beautiful illustrator, and I think we've got it just right. It's it's beautiful. I love the images in it. No, it's a gorgeous book. And that cover with that gold is just wow. Yeah. yeah. You can see why it's telling, because that would really stand out. If you walk into a shop, that's the book you're picking oh, up. thank yeah. you. Uh, so an author, uh, we should also talk about uh, your work on TV. You did um, the, the documentary Our Family and Autism. Yeah. And that, that that's still on iPlayer if people want to see it that. It is, yeah. it is, yeah, it's still but available. Do, but you've done a new one now. I've done a brand new one and this one is called Unmasking My Autism and this one focuses a lot more around female autistics. So it's about women and girls and how they tend to hide, how they show differently to boys. Um, and I filmed it all over last summer and it's just been an incredible journey. I can't wait for people to watch it and hopefully learn a lot more. Yeah, I mean, it, just talking to you, it is fa- I find that fascinating. The, the <laughs> fact that you would, you know, I just wouldn't have thought there was any difference in, in kind of the but sexes or anything. But this is the thing yeah. with, with being autistic, that there is no luck to it. So, you know, it's, it's not obvious sometimes. Um, and more so in women, which, like I said earlier, that's why they're, they're getting later diagnosed. But I really wanted to do this documentary to share my platform with others. There is times where I'm sat there, like now on radio, and I do other TV and podcasts, and, and I often think, you know, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to do this, but I really want to give other people the chance to share their stories too, especially autistics, yeah. because we're all completely different. Well, and, and that's what comes across in the book, actually. Yeah. That's what's really sweet. Uh, that, you know, it's children describing, you know, just traits of their own personality, things they like, things they don't like, and they are all different. Yeah, and I made sure that I didn't just put one autistic character in the book. I wanted them all to be autistic because each and every one of them might have a different sign or symptom of autism, and that is how it is. I've got three autistic children, all completely different, but all with the same diagnosis. And do your kids see themselves in the book? They do, they do. Honestly, when I got the book actually in my hands, I ran upstairs to read it to them. They all told me that I was really cool for being an author. And it was was just a gorgeous moment that I'll never, ever forget. I'm so proud. So the new documentary, Unmasking My Autism, that's on the 15th of March. The Our Family and Autism, I mean, your your children are featured in that one. Did they enjoy that process? Did they like... Being on camera or...? They don't really understand. Um, they, they don't understand, like, celebrity or TV or, you know, they don't know what mummy or daddy does for work. Like, they know that we do things on TV and they see us in magazines, but they don't understand that not everybody does that. OK. Um, they're just... They're not there. They're, they're not at that level of maturity yet to understand. But I quite like it that they're so innocent and they don't judge anyone. They treat everybody exactly the same. They would not care if, if Ant and Dec walked into our kitchen. They, they wouldn't know that they 
that why wouldn't they, they? Why wouldn't they be? Yeah. Like they just wouldn't. <laughs> they wouldn't get it. Or you know, if the gardener walked in, they just they treat everybody exactly the same, and I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and how for them is school all good? And or have they faced problems at school and things like that? Now they're doing amazing. There's always little challenges. Um, when they first started school, they were non-verbal and they needed full-time one-to-one support, which I'm so grateful that they got because I think early intervention is key. Um, you know, they need all the help and support they can get. The younger, the better. But now the twins are nine, my youngest is six, and they're, they're down to a one to two, so they're on, like, part-time support. Yeah. And they're doing incredible. They're doing really, really well. They are making friends. Um, they are eating in the canteen. These are little things that they wouldn't do when they started. Yeah. They are chatting away. Not like other children their age, but they, they are talking. They're verbal now, and they're doing amazing, just absolutely blowing me away of every single day there'll be something where I'm like wow look at you you know and your parents do they now look back and go oh we should have spotted this with Christine all that ages ago or no you did you not it was never like that yeah, um, this thing's now, I'm very close with my mum, very close with my mum, and we talk an awful lot, and, and she definitely can see how I'm quite similar to, to my children. But back then, it was never heard of. I was just seen as being very shy or a bit of a loner um, in my younger years, and, yeah, I just was never great at socialising, and I'm still quite like that now in my 30s. It's something I have to work on. As a teenager with my food, I was seen as being a picky eater or just fussy or, you know... Maybe it's because she's a teenage girl that she doesn't want to eat. Like, no one would have considered that it was because of sensory issues that I couldn't deal with the taste, the smell, the texture, the sound in the canteen, all of that. Um, So, yeah, it's completely opened up my own family's minds to it as well. And when you say, you know, you're still working on that, working in what, are you just conscious of it? Are you are you working on yourself or are you, are you seeing somebody? How does that work? I'm very conscious that to build a friendship, to make it last, that you've got to keep in touch. <laughs> You've got to reply to text messages. You've got to put dates into meetups. Graham diagnoses himself on radio. <laughs> oh, I'm just awful at it. But I just assumed that you'd sometimes you'd meet people and you'd be, you know, you'd have this friendship for life. And I haven't really got anyone in my life that I've been friends with for a very, very long time. My circle is very small. I've got like three close friends that I see a couple of times a year. And for me, that's normal. But uh, yeah, apparently people have friendships where they see each other all the time and... I don't, but I'm working on it. <laughs> your, your friends and I go, oh, should we sing this all the time now? <laughs> this suited us perfectly. We, we liked it twice a year. <laughs> Back off, Christine. Uh, Christine McGuinness, her new book, Amazing Me, Amazing You. It's a gorgeous thing. Congratulations Thank on it. So Congratulations much. on the success of it. And uh, good luck with the documentary that's on Masking Me Autism. It's going to be released on the 15th of March and our family in autism. You can still catch that on iPlayer. Christine McGuinness, thank you so much for coming to see us. Thank you so much for having me. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Bye now. Bye-bye. Stay right there. Sean Wilson tells us everything you need to know and possibly more about cheese in his new book, Cheddar Gorged. And we have a round of Word Up. But first... No trolley today. No, she arrived by foot. Yeah. No trolley, but definitely food. No, absolutely. <laughs> I did bring a big, the goods. A big steaming pile <laughs> of... So how are we describing this? So the official name of the dish is Odds Nens Risotto, but I feel if you serve that up to your family, they're going to be like, 
what? <laughs> what is in this? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a catch-all for basically saying a lovely cheese and herb risotto, but the cheese and the herbs can be at your discretion of what you've got. Okay, okay. And what did you have? So I had uh, <laughs> lovely Parmesan cheese. Lovely. So we've gone with that. And then I had a mixture of parsley and mint to go into the risotto itself. And then... It's part of the food waste issue for Waitrose. So it's got all these ideas of what you do with food waste. So kind of the base of every risotto is an onion mixture. So it's onion, celery, fennel, those kind of things. But you can use whatever you have lying around. I get a veg box every week. So I feel like I always end up with loads of leeks and loads of fennel, which is a bit random. And I never know what to do with it. So this is a really good recipe if you too have (laughs) leeks lying around. (laughs) Yeah. Nice, nice. Is is that an egg on top? What's the yellow thing? So the yellow thing is Parmesan rind. So that is a sneaky food waste tip for this recipe. Wow. Is that whenever you get to the end of a block of Parmesan or Pecorino or anything that has that kind of hard rind, yeah. save the rinds in a little bag, put them in the freezer. And then when you're making something, works well in bolognese as well, but in a risotto, you stick them in right at the beginning with the first ladle of stock. They soften and become really chewy and... They infuse their flavour into the risotto and you get these lovely little chewy nuggets of cheese to go on the top. Wow. And the the waitress newspaper, they've done a whole issue on food waste. Yeah, a whole issue on food waste. So anything you've got in your fridge that you might be wasting, have a look in there. And I'm sure you'll get an idea or two. Wow. Is there anything for all those half jars of things? You know that <laughs> I, I have so many, the harissa and yeah. pesto. And they, just like, what am I going to do? And also, you look at it and kind of think, that must be dead by now. But I'm still not throwing it out. You open it up and have yeah. a little look in. Yeah. If, it's not, if it's not growing anything, it's fine. Yeah, it's grand. <laughs> How bad could it be? And, uh, and uh, like, risotto is quite hard to make, right? I would say the technique isn't hard, but it does require your attention. Yes. And it's easiest when you don't have to cook it to a very specific time limit. Yes. <laughs> what, what Martha's saying is she's a little bit stressed. <laughs> Marginally bit flustered. Yeah. We're all good. The risotto is, is I hope, perfectly cooked. So how do we uh, start? How do we, how do we make this? So we're going to start with sautéing the onions and then whatever else you feel like using. You need 75 grams of a mixture of fennel, leek or celery. So you can use any of those things or a mixture of all three if you okay. have those as your odds and ends. Mm-hmm. They all go into the pan and you want to just sweat them in a little bit of butter for about six to eight minutes until they're nice and softened. Then we're going to add in our risotto rice, give that a really firm mix to get it coated in all of the butter. And it's and Special rice, isn't it, the risotto rice? It is aborio rice. Oh, that's it, aborio, yeah, yeah, You can yeah. actually get away with using paella or pudding rice as oh, well. Nice. Basically, you just want something that has a really high starch content because it creates that lovely creamy risotto. You would find it a little bit hard to get that from kind of a basmati or something else like no, that. Yeah, no, no, so, posh rice yeah. goes in and then we're adding wine. So, lovely. either leftover wine that you've got or what, what? I found. <laughs> I know, who's got <laughs> leftover, leftover wine? wine. <laughs> Or if you don't drink loads of wine, but it really makes a difference in a, in a dish like this, you can buy little cans in Waitrose. Little can of wine. It's I don't about... know what you're talking about. <laughs> I've never seen those before. I, I, I don't know. A can of wine? I don't know. Uh, uh. But they're perfect because it's about 180 millilitres, which is basically what you need for the recipe. So you can just pour in most of it, have a little sip of the last bit. And yeah, go on, just... You're good to go. Mix it in. That all gets absorbed. Then we're going to go in with our stock. And this is where the kind of uh, slightly labour-intensive part of the risotto begins because it can't be left alone. It, it's quite needy. Are you sorry you made that custard last week now? <laughs> <laughs> I've wasted all that stirring energy. Yes, my arms are too tired. So you need to stir 
stir it and you're kind of massaging the starch out of the rice and it cooks evenly. If you just leave it for too long, you'll get some patches of the pan which are cooked and a bit soggy and some that are still a little hard. So you give that a really good mix. Once your rice is almost cooked, we're going to finish off the risotto by adding a bit more butter. Actually, I forgot to say that the parmesan rind goes in with the stock. Oh, the okay, yeah, well, yeah. If you're putting good. that in. Um, then once it's nearly ready, we're going in with parmesan cheese any herbs you've got lying about, so mint, parsley, chives, basil, anything like that will work really nicely. And then something I thought was really clever with this recipe is also salad leaves. Because everyone's got some salad leaves in the bottom of that bag. You never eat a whole bag. And also, <laughs> while they probably don't look nice enough to put on a plate, they look they're, great they're, they'll, they'll be fine in this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So things like rocket, spinach, things like that, perfect. They go in, they'll wilt just slightly in the heat of the risotto. Yeah. Leave it for two minutes to sit, give it a little season to taste, and then... Serve it up and cut up that parmesan rind so that everyone gets a little piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And presumably you can then load it with any old stuff you've got. Like if you've got a bit of leftover whatever, you can chuck it in here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great canvas recipe for fish or meat or roasted vegetables, anything that you want to pair it with. A risotto is a great recipe to have up your sleeve for chucking on all of those odds and ends and being a bit creative. Very good. Uh, but that recipe uh, will be found on the Graham Norton Waitrose Hub. Uh, just head to waitrose.com show chef and you can see this recipe and indeed all the recipes prepared by Martha uh, you can check out the uh, recipe on our socials as well at Virgin Radio UK and uh, must mention the Martha class the return of the Martha class <gasps> oh I know uh, next weekend so it's what you're doing cupcake decorating we are we are getting everyone prepared for Mother's Day which I believe is the weekend after with a lovely little masterclass on cupcake decorating I'll show you a few different techniques we'll get the sprinkles out it's going to be a party and people will get to take some cupcakes away with them oh for sure that'd be a bit yeah. cruel to make you decorate yeah, cupcakes yeah. in there oh they're all for yeah, me i'm sorry, sorry. Uh, they Graham can't leave the building the yeah <laughs> <laughs> well no it'll be angela scanlon angela scanlon oh, is in charge uh, next weekend so she'll be monitoring the uh, the cupcake uh, distribution she'll be claiming a few of her favorites <laughs> i'm sure she will uh, if you fancy that basically we're going to give it to four people four people and a friend can come we'll put you up in a hotel on the saturday night or sunday night the Saturday night, Saturday night, Saturday night, so it'll be the Sunday. So you get uh, come down to London, you get put up in a hotel, and then you're here and you get to work with the lovely Martha. Uh, we'll teach you how to decorate a, a cupcake and you'll delight somebody uh, on Mother's Day with some decorated cupcakes. Uh, if you want to enter, all you've got to do is register. You go to virginradio.co.uk and go to the Graham Norton Radio show page and it'll tell you what to do. It's as simple as that, but you've got to do it before 10 a.m. on Wednesday. Uh, thank you very much, Martha. I'll see you tomorrow. You're very welcome. See you what, tomorrow. What have you got tomorrow? Is it sweet, savoury? It's going to be something sweet Lovely. and cakey. Oh, cakey. Mm. Mm, nice. Do you have to do more stirring? I worry for you. <laughs> it's all right. I'll take a break. <laughs> <laughs> there should be some sort of stirring marathon. You should get sponsored. All right. Thank you very much, Martha. Martha. Oh, and the trolley's back. The trolley <laughs> the beautifully, back. Pa beautifully parallel parked today. Uh, how are you, Martha? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I, you'll notice my eyes being drawn. <laughs> drawn to the trolley. I can assure you, no cheese. No, no cheese in the upside-down cake. Oh, what's the point? <laughs> what is the point? It did get me thinking, though. What flavours could you do of an upside-down cake with cheese? Well, cheese and pineapple. Uh, Clearly. It's, they're, you're they're, right, they're, that's it's a, match, a match made in heaven. I'm surprised it's not in the book. Yeah, you just eat some cubes of cheese popped into the top of this... <laughs> And uh, we're done. Uh, come back, Sean. <laughs>
Actually, I reckon that would go quite no. nicely. No, and you were saying you're a proper cheese. What have you got? You've got a qualification. Oh well, I love I love cheese. So I did a, little, a few little courses with the Academy of Cheese. So I'm an associate of cheese at the moment, but hoping to climb my way through wow. the ranks. We need Martha and Sean trapped in a lift <laughs> together. Uh, oh, the fun! Uh, so what have you made, uh, Sean's cheese? So today we have an upside down cake. We're bringing back a retro classic. Mm, lovely. <laughs> so this is one of the kind of recipes in my Waitrose column. This is actually next week's recipe, so if you pick up this weekend's weekend, you won't find it, but next week... It's an exclusive, ladies and gentlemen. It's a preview. It's it a is. preview. It's a, it's a sneak peek. It is. The recipe is already online, so you can make it today if you so wish. Um, but yeah, did some intensive digging into upside-down cakes, and some of my the best recipes are more kind of conceptual, if that makes sense, taking, oh, what's the best shortbread? Whereas upside-down cake, because there's so many variations, it was more... What do I think needs a little bit of an update? How can we bring this into the 21st century? I know, and you surprised me. I would have thought there were, weren't that many variations. There's a lot of different... You can use a lot of different types of fruit. You can use different sponges. It's just kind of trying... Obviously, there's subjection to f- flavours. Some people love pears, some people love peaches. But I've gone with the classic pineapple. Yeah. I've, I've done away with the glacé cherries that you would get in a traditional upside-down cake. And I've introduced, introduced some coconut and some rum. Ooh, to okay. kind of give it a bit more of a deep, dark flavour. You're quite a fan of the rum, aren't you, Martha? I know, I just realised yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like about three weeks in a row we've had rum. So <laughs> <laughs> when I was um, on Bake Off a long time ago, probably about knocking on nine years ago now, I was underage, I was 17, so I technically couldn't use alcohol in the show. But I didn't realise that, so when I submitted a lot of my recipes, <laughs> I'm like, this is quite... Got a, quite a lot of uh, amaretto and rum in it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I cook for my parents a lot. They really enjoy that kind yeah, of thing. Quite boozy. Like, you can use it, but you just can't show yourself. You can't taste anything for the entirety of the show. <laughs> <laughs> and what is the point of making an upside down cake? Why not just make a right way up cake? Well, it keeps that fruit lovely and moist. Because if you were, for example, to make the batter and put the pineapple on the top, number one, it would sink probably midway through the bake and you'd end mm. up with pineapple in the middle cake. <laughs> Okay. And it would also potentially burn or caramelise on the top. This is perfect for keeping that pineapple and cooking it in the kind of caramel layer at the bottom. And it keeps the cake really moist as well, because when you turn it upside down, all that syrup that's formed underneath will drizzle through the cake. So you should get that pineapple-y flavour all the way through. You're making me hungry. <laughs> uh, OK, I'm going to have a slice of this, and uh, I've got a nice coffee here. and everything. Oh, it's perfect. Uh, it is delicious. Oh, I've, thank you. I've just wolfed down a slice of that <laughs> with some vanilla cream. Um uh, Start us off. How do we make it? So we're going to start by making a little caramel, which is going to go in the bottom of our tin. So you want to line a tin, and ordinarily you just kind of do a disc from the bottom of the tin, but you want to make sure the disc has a little lip because this, you don't want the syrup dripping out all over the inside of your yeah. oven. <laughs> or this simple cake will become <laughs> a real a nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> What's that smell? It's yeah. still the cake. <laughs> charred pineapple going on. Um, so we're going to take the, the syrup from a can of pineapple rings. Mm-hmm. So I'm using canned pineapple in this because it's just easy to get hold of year round. You can use fresh, but... You no can... one's judging you. No <laughs> one's judging you, Martha. You can utilise that syrup. So we pour the syrup into a saucepan, add a little bit of sugar, and then we boil that for about 10 minutes until it turns this deep, dark caramel colour and you can really smell that kind of classic caramelised flavour. Mm-hmm. Then we're adding in a tablespoon of lemon juice for a bit of tang and a tablespoon of rum. Give that a good mix and stick in two tablespoons of desiccated coconut. And then you tip that into your prepared tin mm-hmm. and let it harden slightly. Okay. You're then going to arrange all your pineapple slices into the caramel. 
Let's kind of wedge those in. Lovely. Then set that to one side and move on to your cake batter. So we're making quite a classic cake batter. It's eggs, butter, sugar. We're using light muscovado sugar, so it has a little bit of that kind of Caribbean delicious flavour rather than just pure white sugar. Yep. That's going to go in. We are going to whip that all together until it's nice and smooth. Add in a little bit of extra coconut, extra rum. Then spread that over your pineapple slices into the oven for about 50 minutes. It's quite a long bake because it's quite a deep cake. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Personally, I love cakes like this because I think there's a time and a place for when you want to be slicing layers and decorating the outside. But sometimes it's quite nice when you get the cake out of the oven and you're like, great, I'm done. It's done. There's no <laughs> decoration done. needed. I don't need to do anything. Yeah. So leave it to cool in the tin for about 10 minutes so for that syrup to cool down slightly or you'll end up with a danger basically yeah. you'll burnt roof of mouth yeah exactly so leave it in the tin run a little spatula or a palette knife around the outside and then invert it onto a board peel back the paper and it hopefully should reveal <laughs> a beautiful pineapple pineapple top yeah right and, uh, and did you buy the vanilla cream or did you make vanilla cream i made some vanilla cream to go on the side just whipped up some double cream with a little bit of vanilla bean paste and a little bit of honey it's very nice. I must Thank say you. that it's all really lovely. If you fancy making the best pineapple upside down cake in the world, uh, you can find that recipe on the Graham Norton Waitrose Hub, waitrose.com slash showchef. And all of Martha's recipes are there. You can also check out the recipe and the visuals on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. And uh, another plug, of course, for the Martha class. Yes. This is next weekend, next Sunday. Mm. Uh, so you're teaching people how to... Is it ice cupcakes? It is. So we're going to be icing cupcakes. I'll teach you a few different techniques. You can get handy with a piping bag and a few techniques using a palette knife as well. And then you can take home six hopefully beautifully decorated, if not just very delicious <laughs> cupcakes. <laughs> you can say you drop them. Yeah. Uh, they didn't travel well. Yeah. They, they look lovely when I left Virgin. <laughs> Uh, so if you'd like to do that, four lucky listeners plus a pal uh, could do that. What we'll do is we'll pay for your transport to London. We'll put you up in a hotel on the Saturday night. So it's a nice weekend. And then uh, on Sunday morning, up you come to the tower. You'll meet Angela Scanlon, who's sitting in for me, and Martha. And you'll uh, decorate those cupcakes. All you have to do is go to the Graham Norton Radio Show page at virginradio.co.uk to register. But you've got to do it before Wednesday at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and uh, last time it was a hoot and a holler. Everyone had a lovely time, didn't oh, they? Oh, made Christmas puddings. It was really fun. Yeah. So it'll be a nice thing to do. And just, you know, it's a day out, isn't it? <laughs> Something. And I know, I know our listeners like to do things. So <laughs> that's all good. Uh, have a lovely week. Thank you very much Thank for coming to see us. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Mmm, I smell cheese. It must mean Sean Wilson's in the studio. Oh, hello. You actually, you have brought cheese. I have brought cheese. I've been into Borough Market around the corner and I found a cheddar cheese that I've never heard of. Wow. Which, which just kind of um, backs up uh, the reason for my book for, for coming in today. Yeah, yeah. Is the fact that nobody knows everything when it comes to cheese. Well, uh, we would have thought you did, <laughs> but <laughs> well, you, you didn't. Uh, so, uh, but now this book, so it's it, it came about because, so you have become a cheesemaker. Yes. Now, had you started making it, you, you keep opening it. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. All right. That, that's the, that noise isn't a fire. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's oh, sort of. Oh, that does so, look yes. gorgeous. I, that I, does look gorgeous. So, the when you left Corrie, had you already started making cheese then? No, no. So, I left Corrie, and uh, instead of um, um, a, a panic uh, in life, <laughs> I decided that actually I've been looking out of that window for quite a long time. In yeah, the yeah, room. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was a massive cook, still I'm a massive cook, and I knew a lot of chefs. 
So one of the chefs, uh, Nigel Howarth, who owned a lovely uh, Michelin restaurant in Burnley, in Blackburn, sorry, in, in Lancashire, said, I believe you're leaving. So I said, I am, yeah. So he said, well, come work with us. So I was like, whoa. So tentatively walked into the Michelin kitchen straight away from the studio. But, like, you were so famous, yeah. Sean. I mean, <laughs> one of the most recognisable, you know, because that's the thing about there's, yeah. there's fame and yeah. then there's soap fame. Like, yes, you're there so is. famous. Yeah. What, what was it like going back into a, a work environment like that? Uh, it was great, and I got on with the people. At first, of course, there, there was a obviously shaky hands and then people going away thinking, what? what what's he doing here? <laughs> Uh, but um, but I was really well treated by uh, by the chef there, Lisa Allen, and she was just as curious as you. Why, what, you know, yeah, yeah, everything yeah, yeah. else. And I was talking about the word provenance and how much it means to me as a cook. And you may know yourself that provenance means that something's made at its source. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she said, all oh, right, OK. And I said, oh, I'm very much into the science of food. And I've kind of taught myself, Lisa. She said, oh, you know, this is fascinating because... There's a Lancashire cheesemaker who brings our cheese in twice a week. And I know he needs to teach somebody. So I'm going to introduce you to. So we were introduced by Lisa. So we had a very similar sense of humour, uh, which helps when you just stood around a vat and throwing curds around all day yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Bob taught me how to make three fabulous Lancashire cheeses. Um, so off I went and he said, I would like you to, order, to enter the British Cheese Awards. So let's wax up one of your cheeses. And I was like, Bob, you know, it's my first summer. I've only made a few cheeses. I want you to enter. So I then um, I received an email weeks later. I'd forgotten all about it. I was down in my uh, cellar um, where the computer was in my computer room. And uh, you have won either gold, silver or bronze in the, in the British Cheese Awards. I mean. It was amazing. Yeah. So I jumped up, banged my head on the rafters, <laughs> uh, rang Bob straight away. You, you might like this story. And so I said, Bob, I've had an email. I've won either gold, silver or bronze. I'm so excited, he said. He went, oh, competitive. He said, uh, I've had the same email, so uh, I'll, I'll see you on the night. <laughs> <laughs> so come the night, I won the gold. Wow. I, I won the gold for the best crumbly style cheese in the UK. It's um, like a, a cheesy all about Eve. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> the, the student has outshone the teacher. Well, and, and, but now, and then you set up your own. So Saddleworth Cheese Company is your mm -hmm, cheese company, mm -hmm. and so. I mean, obviously you're here to sell a book, but mm -hmm. let's talk about the cheese. Uh, if people want to buy your cheese, yeah. do they buy it direct from there or uh, do you distribute through shops? So I, I distribute through uh, shops and restaurants uh, and the like. And we, we've called ourselves Artisan Farm now because we had we, we felt that we had to lose the Saddleworth connotation okay. with, with the history of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of things uh, past. Yeah. Uh, so we're the Artisan Farm Cheese Company. Okay, excellent. Yeah. And so how did the book come about? Because the book the book is it's lots of recipes, but it's also the history of cheddar. Right. It is. It's, it is. You know, and it's kind of your story. It cheese. is. So I, I, I met the publisher, a northern publisher, Great Northern Books, and he said, tell me how and why we should make this book. So I think that's probably a good place to start. And I said to him, well, tell me how many dishes you use cheddar with. So he said, OK, we've got jacket potato, we've got, we got lasagna, we've got nachos. We said, yeah, yeah, OK, go on. He said, oh, obviously cheese on toast, a Welsh, Welsh rare bit. I said, yeah, yeah, and... And he was like, oh, I'm struggling a bit. I said, exactly. I said, and all those dishes that you've just mentioned to me, 
were you, were you making those like 30 years ago? He said, I was. I said, exactly. The, as a nation, we have cheddar as our favourite cheese. You know, you'll see it in the newspapers, our nation's favourite. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's just a little bit of a, a media sign that we've put over the cheese because we all own some. But we just don't know really what to do with it. And we don't really know where it properly comes from or its history. Yeah. So I'm just trying to update the nation on cheddar cheese. And lots of it is kind of, uh, you kind of think, oh, yes, I, I'm, I'm fully on board to do yeah. that. And then we get to the more spice, the dessert Yes, section, yes. Where you're doing sweet, <laughs> sweet things. Well, like, and some of it, I kind of think, oh, that's a good idea, like putting the cheddar in the pastry uh-huh. on, on a on a yeah. apple pie or something. Mm. But talk us through cheddar ice cream. I've never tasted it. So cheddar ice cream. So that that kind of brings the biggest reaction, and it's brought your biggest reaction, Graham, yeah. which, which I love. So as I was developing all these recipes, and I did all the photography in the book. Too. Did you do the photography? Yeah, yeah all the I was going to mention the photography. It's gorgeous. Oh, great! Thank you yeah. so much. And also, so, I like. Sorry to interrupt, but like some, I you know, what I like is that sometimes you just go in for a big close-up of yes. just like you know, you've got a, a sweet onion cheddar pie. Yeah, I love yeah. just the inside of that pie. Yeah, it's but gorgeous. then I did some like Caribbean-style uh, um, uh, bun and cheese. They're called, and I decided to leave the maiden with washing up behind. You know, and, <laughs> you know a little bit like it yeah, would yeah. be in a Caribbean kitchen. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, but, so uh, but back to the ice cream. Yeah. So the ice cream. So we're developing in the kitchen, and uh, when I was working in the Michelin. Uh, kitchen we would make a Lancashire cheese ice cream and I was thinking oh cheddar ice cream how would I do that so it's not new to the industry but I think it's new to the consumer obviously and the consumer thinks that we're just like um, grating raw cheddar into uh, the ice cream which is far from 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 this recipe so what I've done is um, I had the uh, ice cream maker going and put a little bit less uh, sugar in there so I'm already thinking about just lessening the sugar a little. And then I just grated some uh, cheddar into the dry frying pan and bring it up to a heat and it will all melt and then you just start getting some smoke coming through. I put it onto my cold uh, work surface, you know, the, the, the granite work surface. Yeah, yeah. Just cools it down for half a minute and then you can peel it off the frying pan and then within 30 seconds it's gone brittle. Really brittle, really crispy, and you can crisp it in your hands. So you know that bit of lasagna. So it's like honeycomb or something. Yeah, yeah. So you know that bit of lasagna we all fight over, that little bit in the corner that's really nicely cooked. Well, it tastes just like that. So you just crumble it through your fingers into the ice cream churner. So not only does it taste of cheddar in there, but it's lovely and crunchy little bites of cheddar in. That sounds delicious. It is lovely. We're talking cheese, we're eating cheese. Mm. Usually when the record's on and the guest is here, we'll talk about something else. But no, we've talked about cheese for the whole (laughs) whole time that record was on. Uh, It is, like, it is your absolute passion, Sean. It is my passion. And... um, and I, I make Lancashire cheeses, so so they're very much under the banner of territorial cheeses, which then basically takes you to the history of British cheese. Yeah. You know, we have Lancashire's, Cheshire's, Wensleydale's, uh, Stilton's come into that, uh, double Gloucester's and your single Gloucester's, and then Cheddar, and they make the six territorial cheeses. Cheddar is one of our oldest cheeses. And now your cheeses, are your cheeses unpasteurised? So my cheeses are pasteurised. Oh, yours are pasteurised? Yeah, oh, right. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, I make my cheeses at the source. So when the key, the cows come in, uh, the the milking parlour is metres away from, from the vat, and, th- and that's my uh, that, that, that's my unique selling point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when people buy cheeses in a supermarket, mm-hmm. are those 
What are the, are those? Those are nearly always pasteurised. Yeah, great question because I've kind of split the cheddar making in this country into. It could be complicated, and I could have turned the book into like a bird identification book for cheeses. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, no, I'm going to two, choose two cheeses, and I'm, one's going to be unpasteurised and one's going to be pasteurised, and I'll tell their stories. So it's a, it's a story of two different ambitions, really. Yeah. So the unpasteurised cheese uh, uh, is made by a lovely company called Montgomery's. They're down there in the Brew Valley, which is the best place to make cheddar cheese. Uh, and James there makes her, his cheese the same way it was made a thousand years ago. Okay. Yeah. So I think it was like eleven forty or something when the first cheddars were. Uh, Is this the cave aged stuff? The cave aged uh, uh, cheese. Yeah. It was cave aged first in the cheddar gorge, which we, of course, we've all heard yeah, of yeah, the cheddar yeah, yeah, gorge. Yeah, yeah. But really, to keep the cheese from uh, away from thieves, because it's one hundred and sixty-seven meters high there in uh, uh, in the in the caves, and it was to keep the keep it away from thieves because it was kind of, it was kind of well sought after. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, they found by accident that those caves kept the cheese at twelve degrees and, and throughout the year, and 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 that turned out to be the best way that to to mature a cheddar cheese. So they so it was made that way for thousands of years. That, yeah, for so a thousand when, years. So when did the when did pasteurised become a thing? So pasteurised came through more um, uh, obviously pasteurised. Uh, foods were used in the 20th century. Yeah. But then, of course, when supermarkets started to show interest in cheese, then, of course, they're selling to the masses. Unpasteurised cheese could uh, have more of the unfriendly bugs in there because, of course, the milk's unpasteurised. Yeah. So, um, so then it has to go through more processes and it becomes more expensive to make. Whereas the past- if it's pasteurised, the milk is pasteurised to begin with, then the cheese-making process is a lot easier and you can sell it to the masses without, yeah. you know, without people getting poorly from it. Uh, Sean, do you regret the years you wasted as an actor? <laughs> do you, what was I doing living no, on the no, cobbles? No, <laughs> I loved my time down at Coronation Street and I think I was a member of, that sh- of, the, of the show through its halcyon years, really. There really were 20 million yeah, yeah. people watching some of the episodes. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I very much like my time there. But this food thing, once it gets you, Graham, it really gets you. And But also it got you pre... Like, when you were a yeah. teenager, yeah. you were this young man and you loved mm. cooking, you loved all of that. Did it never... Were you, were you ever tempted to, to do it as a job back then? No, but uh, I knew a lot of great chefs and... Um, and I was teaching myself how to cook, and I was going into Europe, and you know I, I would be a friend of uh, I'm a friend of Simon Hopkinson. Oh yeah. So uh, I, you know we'd speak to each other. He'd say, "Oh, I believe you're going." To, Helen tells me you're going to Burgundy. So I say, I'm, "Oh, if you go to Burgundy, you've got to try this cheese, Ami de Chambaton. Go into the little village, and there's a little shop there, and I would go there and I'd try this cheese, and they'd give me a spoon with the cheese." Graham and I was like, oh, hang on a minute, I, I'm a British teenager. We don't do spoons and cheese. What's all that about? You know, we have cheddar and the softest cheese we probably had in the UK then was brie. Yeah, yeah you don't yeah. eat that with a spoon. Uh, but then I had this Ami de Chambaton and it smelled of the farmyard. Didn't smell very good, but then it was mushroomy flavoured and sweet and oh, and that was one of the awakenings of uh, of my interest. And it's weird because I think as as kids we're all conservative with a small C. Mm. Just you know I me, mean? we like we like certain foods. Yeah. We don't like. Da, da, da. 
what I mean, what was it like growing up? How where did your curiosity come from? Where did that well, taste come from? Well, that came basically from uh, my uh, owning my own kitchen. Uh, at the age of 19, where, of course, I wanted to cook throughout yeah, my yeah, earlier yeah. years. And mother was like, no, I'm too busy, too busy, out of the kitchen. But I had my own kitchen, and Keith Floyd had come to our screens at exactly the same time. Yes. So then I was going to France, and I was buying, uh, uh, um, you know, corn-fed chickens. And I asked for a corn-fed chicken in, in, in ashton Underline, <laughs> which is where I lived, and the suburbs of Manchester, and I would get the weirdest of looks, you know. I couldn't really source the, the the ingredients then, but then as Keith was having his effect yes. on the supermarket, so they were started to buy in certain. I could buy gelatine leaves. What you know in the eighties? Could you really buy gelatine leaves? Well, re- coming towards the end of the eighties, you could. could. Yeah. yeah, you know. So, so my awakening kind of came with Keith. No, because you can imagine Keith. Uh, the effect of him, because he made cooking seem cool and fun. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Glass of wine and guys. Guys, come into the kitchen. Yeah. You know, you're welcome. Wow. Uh, and, and guys, you know, in the industry, you know, they, they, they were, they're well covered. You know, I, I guess it's the ladies in the industry that are still struggling to come through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But now, in terms of your cooking, you don't. Do you cook with cheese all the time? No, no. Okay. No, but <laughs> I'm worried for your arteries. <laughs> I thought, I thought, is this his diet? <laughs> no, but, but what I wanted to do was to just show people... Uh, how versatile uh, how it is. How versatile it actually is. And you mentioned earlier how I put some cheese into my uh, pastries. And I put it into the pastry one because it brings a little savouriness, but it also brings a little snap to the pastry. And only if you put cheese in will you get that little snap. Uh, so, you know, you would normally put butter in there. Yeah. So just half it with some cheddar. Uh, it's as simple as that, and you get that. So you're making, like, I make a, 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 a tomato and basil tart, but I will make the, the tart base, the blind-baked yeah, yeah, base, yeah. with a little tiny bit of cheddar in. So when you cut it, you get, or you bite it, you get a little snap that you will probably quite like. I mean, I love talking to people who are so knowledgeable and uh, properly enthusiastic. Well... Uh, Thank you so much for coming to see us, Sean. Cheddar Gorged is the name of the book and your cheese company is the Artisanal... Yeah, yeah, the, the Artisan Farm Cheese Artisan che- cheese, Farm Cheese. Yeah. So uh, you can buy the book uh, at the at Waterstones, at WH Smith's and at Amazon. OK, and uh, of course, uh, gnbooks.co.uk. Yes. There you go. Uh, thank you so much for coming in, Sean. Thank you for uh, my, my lovely taste of cheese. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Uh, thank you very I, much. I feel like Borough Market is going to claim you back again. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm, I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for coming to see us. Come on, baby, tell me what's the word of word is back uh, someone comes on the air we play a clip if you know the missing word then you win that Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box it's a reusable cup with champagne Florentines uh, vinegar jam all sorts of lovely things okay uh, who have we got on the line we've got uh, is it Leith it's Lee hi Graham Lee hi Lee and where are you I'm on the Wirral. <gasps> on the Wirral. Very nice. Yes. We'll all be there for Eurovision. Yeah, have you, have you applied for your tickets yet? We haven't, no. We're going to, though. OK. Well, maybe I'll yeah. see. Maybe I'll, oh, wait, and you'll know. What arena is it in? <laughs> it's in the um, Manchester... Um, my what's the Marks and Spencer. Is it the Echo Arena now, is it called? Are you asking me? 
Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought there was someone else in the room you were asking. I haven't a clue. I think it used to be the Echo Arena. Now it's the M&S Bank Arena. Is it in there? Yes, I believe it is. Okay, very good. All right, yeah. uh, are you a Blondie fan? I am. Okay, well, hopefully uh, you'll be able to spot the missing word in a Blondie lyric. So you can hear me clearly? I can, thank you, Graham. Okay, let's play the clip and see if you can spot the missing word. Here we go. Right, what word is missing? What do you think? I couldn't hear it that well. Was it tonight? Okay, let's find out if you're right or... Oh, hang on. I'm so sorry, Lee. It wasn't tonight. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Well, better luck with your uh, with your Eurovision tickets, and maybe see you, you in in an arena in Liverpool. All right. Take oh, care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, nice to speak to you. Uh, nice talk to you. Next up, we have Stuart. Hello, Stuart. Hello, Graham. Hi. And where are you, Stuart? Uh, I'm stuck by Bedford. Okay. And what are you up to this Sunday? Uh, my eight-year-old daughter's just come back from her best friend's sleepover, so I didn't have a quiet afternoon. Oh, lovely. Was she, when, when you say sleepover, there was no sleeping. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, well, not, not as much as she would have been if they were home. Yeah, so she's a little tired after the sleepover. We know how she feels. Uh, all right, Stuart, uh, are you a Blondie fan? Uh, my dad was, so I'll give it a okay. Wow. <laughs> The callers get younger. <laughs> the callers get younger. Uh, oh, all right. Uh, okay, so you can hear clearly. Let's here we go. Uh, what is the missing word in this Blondie song? Here we go. <laughs> what do you reckon? It's fire. Is it fire? Let's find out if you're right. No, Stuart. No, it's not fire. There will be people screaming at the radio right now. <laughs> uh, have a nice afternoon. Have a quiet afternoon. Have a little bit of a snooze. Take care, Stuart. Bye. Thank you, Preston. Okay, let's try Elaine. Elaine is up next. Hello, Elaine. Hi. Hi. Now, have you been listening or do you feel confident? Yes, I feel very confident and I can't believe I'm talking to Graham Norton. Oh, well, I can't believe I'm talking to Elaine. Where are you, Elaine? Okay, and what have you got planned for your Sunday? Oh, Elaine? Oh, Elaine. Hello? Oh, there she is. Yeah, County Durham, sorry. County Durham. I tell you, but in case we lose you, let's play the clip as fast as possible. Here we go. Okay. Okay, for that Graham Norton with Waitrose uh, gift box, what do you think? Atomic. You think it's atomic? Let's see if you're right. Atomic. atomic. Yay! Congratulations, Elaine. The waitress gift box is winging its way to you. Uh, anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the radio? Yes, my husband, Anthony. Hi, Anthony. <laughs> is he right there beside you? 
He is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least uh, you, you remembered him on the radio. That That's the matter. I showed him up on the radio, I think. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Have a lovely day. Oh, Thank all right. You. The same for yourself, Elaine. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's Elaine in County Durham there, uh, the happy winner of the Graham Norton Waitrose gift box. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on all of our socials? We're also on TikTok. I know. Just look up Virgin Radio UK on all platforms to see everything from gorgeous dishes to Graham's guides. For now, speak to you soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.